Kiara, Nihao, and hello. Welcome to the Cherry Journal podcast. I'm your host Camille Yang. My guest today is Peter Levels. Peter is a serial founder of multiple products such as Nomad List, Remote OK, and Revis. In this episode, we discuss digital nomads life, remote working trends, founders' mental health, what it feels like to be a niche famous. And know my dating life. I hope you enjoy the show. Shall we start with your digital nomad journey? So, how did it all begin? I mean, it depends how far you want to go back, right? But I started like April 2013. Back then, it wasn't it wasn't a very popular thing to do. It was like quite、um, fringe, I would say. And the reason I, I went because my friend,、uh, my Dutch friend Hasse, he said. You know, you can do your work on your laptop anywhere, right? Or if you if you would buy a laptop, because I had this big PC computer, because I did like video stuff and I had two screens, and I could never travel that, of course. So he's like, "Why don't you just buy a, a laptop and try it on there?" So I did that, and I flew to Asia.、Uh, I'd already studied in Korea before, so、mm-hmm. I did like study exchange program, and it was really fun. And、uh, and I also knew him from there, and he was like, you know. He he had a normal job, so he couldn't he couldn't go. But he was like, you know, you have this internet thing. So, because I I had a YouTube channel for music, it was making money. It was like de- look, electronic music mixes, you know, like one hour mix, and that came kind of from my music career where I made my own music, which I was uploading to YouTube, and I know that was making like a thousand dollar, two thousand dollar, sometimes eight thousand dollar a month. So I, I I was making money, and and I I could just do it on my laptop, kind of. So、uh, that's what I did. Then when did you find these、um, opportunities to create a nomad list site to attract other people? Back then, I was in Chiang Mai. There was like maybe twenty to thirty people doing this thing. Like most American or European guys,、it、was no woman at all.、It、was mostly guys. Now it's much better, but they're all like a little bit weird. Like I was also weird. I'm still weird, but they were. It was not like regular people doing this thing. You know, a little bit on the edge of society. Like a little bit, a little bit dodgy, maybe. The 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 money they made, the work they did was a little bit spammy, you know, like Google spam, dexing, selling illegal drugs to America from Chinese dropshipping, like a lot of weird shit. But they were nice people, kind of. And、uh, I was like, okay, this is. I didn't really identify with those people as much because I was making like kind of like music stuff. So I was like, okay, I did this for like six months, and then I was in Hong Kong, I think. So I went to to Bangkok, Chiang Mai, Cambodia, I think, Vietnam. Also Bali, no, not Bali. I, Hong Kong. I was there, and then I was like, okay, let's go back home. And you know, I called my parents. I miss my parents, so I went back home. I saw them for Christmas and stuff. And then I kind of got into depression because this six months or eight months was really fun. And but I didn't identify with these people. I didn't. I wanted to do like cool stuff, make cool businesses and stuff, and not do spammy shit. I wanted to do legit business and cool startups and do it on my laptop. So I was kind of like depressed in my bed in my parents' house in my kids' room, you know. Being like, I think I was twenty six or something, twenty seven, twenty eight. Like, I hate my life. What am I doing? And all my other friends were kind of moving on with their life because they graduated. They were like maybe buying houses, you know, moving in together. And I was like in my kids' room. <laughs> and um, and I remember watching um, Young Fook, John Young Fook's、uh, Instagram, I think, because I knew him because he was making his own startups. And he was doing like cool stuff. He was doing like SaaS, you know. Like back then, he was making Beatrix app, which was like a customer service app, I think. No, it was a it was like a social、uh, media scheduling app, like Buffer kind of, a little bit different. And um, and he was like blogging about it and 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 doing it like really in a classy way. And、uh, and I was like, okay, if he can do that, then that was kind of like a role model for me. Like I should do that too. And I went traveling and I went to Bali, and I kept working on these startups and. You know, none of these startups really made money yet. I started doing twelve startups in twelve months, which was like I tried to do one project every month, and I started like April two thousand fourteen. So a year after nomading, after I started nomading, I started doing that. And I mean, that was my low point. I was like, I was super depressed,、mm. I had anxiety, like my hands were like shaking all the time,、no. and I didn't know what to do with my life. And 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 my dad would always say like, you know, you need to. Start doing something if you want to get out of depression. Like take action and do stuff, you know. So I started doing these twelve startups. It gave me like a goal, a purpose, 
and after doing like all these crazy different projects, I made uh, Nomad List, the first version in Bali. And then I flew to the Philippines, I finished it there, and then it launched. And since then, it's been like roller coaster. People started using it, people started paying for it. So that was kind of my journey. So it was pretty much like a low point. And this Nomad List saved me pretty much. Because without that, like I was interviewing for jobs at Coinbase in Amsterdam in the office kind of cool company though like i mean maybe it would have worked out but i'm still happy that this thing worked out kind of. and now it's like a, it's a mainstream thing right yeah it is yeah i joined nomad list last year i was in the uk before and then i said uh, i want to do something new so i joined it now i met so many friends through nomad list it's great so nice do you still remember when you get your first paid customer how, how did you feel yeah, it was, man, it was super weird because um, we had the problem. So I, I first created the website, which was like a list of cities and it was kind of crowdsourced. So everybody just put their own information in on the Google sheet. And then I made it into a website. I remember there was a guy on Twitter from America who was DMing me like kind of advice. And it was like a smart startup guy. He said, you need to create like some social features on this website, like a login button and that there needs to be something else, you know, like users and stuff. And I was like, okay, I have no idea how to do it because I didn't know how database worked. I could barely code. I could do basic PHP WordPress stuff, but I could make like a table HTML and stuff, but I couldn't really code difficult database stuff. So I thought like, okay, what's the easy way to do it? And back then Slack was taking off. So I made a Slack for nomads and I added like a link, like if you want to sign up, there was a type form, enter your email name, and then I invite you manually to the Slack. And so a lot of people came in and I think within like weeks it was like 500 people. And it was completely free. It was like, um, didn't have to pay for it. And then I remember there was people coming in spamming. So they were like posting their, you know, self-promotion stuff. And I was like, okay, we need to fix that. So uh, on Typeform, you could enable like payments with Stripe. So, and I already had Stripe for my other products. So I was like, okay, I'll connect Stripe and I'll charge, I think like $1 for sign up. And that worked to increase the quality because you didn't get random people signing up anymore. Mm. And then I increased to $5 and then $10 and then I think $20, $30, $65 for a long time, $69 and uh, nice, $69. You know, the Slack started growing and became like the biggest remote work or nomad Slack, big community. And then I slowly started learning how to code better and I started moving a lot of the features. Social, fe I started adding social features to the website because I finally understood how it worked. This is like a hell because like I started with like literally the type form export, like the CSV, you know, the spreadsheet export of users, putting into a database. And then there was like four different databases of users. There was like forum users, there was Slack users, there was web users. It took years to fix all that stuff. And now it's just a user's database and a lot of different features on the website, like meetups. And like most of the usage now is not Slack. Most of the usage is on the website. Like you can organize meetups like you, you do a lot. I see you organize a lot of meetups. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you yeah. can, um, uh, there's dating features, kind of like swiping, DM on the website. You can create your own travel profile, like log your trips and stuff. You can, of course, filter on everything about which city you like, like if there's a legal weed or if it's like what climate it is in December, if it's warm or is it a member of the OECD, you know, all these crazy niche things, but you can filter everything and that kind of became the website. And now it's like the biggest platform and website for digital nomads in the world. So. I see so many mainstream media also quote your website on their news yeah. articles. Yeah, it's really nice. It's very funny when I organize a meetup, it's hardly any girls. So <laughs> all the guys working in the software engineer. Yeah, I saw this photo. I saw a photo like this week or something of you yes. and like uh, none of these guys. Yeah, it's a big problem. I, I think if you... Um, if you look at, for example, the, the meetups in Mexico are more like diverse, mm -hmm. but I mean, this is always a problem with tech, like, but also with communities. Like if you look at the usage of, of, of forums and stuff and internet websites and communities, the usage by women is usually like 20% or 30%. Mm -hmm. if you look at tech companies, the developers is always something like 20%, 30%. There's other type of website or, or other industries where you see more women uh, sign up, whereas like 70% women, for example, I don't know, like uh, stuff like Pinterest, for example, but women and men sign up to different websites. And as much as I like, like my, my purpose would obviously be to make it 50, 50, but that's difficult because then, for example, you need to like start charging 
less money uh, for women who sign up. It's <laughs> so like a club, com- a nightclub that women yeah, get free. <laughs> well, that's why nightclubs do it, right? It's, it's because it starts getting in complicated territory. So I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure if it's one, if it's a problem. I'm not really sure, two, if I should solve it. I think generally it will solve itself anyway because remote work is usually tech jobs. And you see with general tech jobs, it's like 20 to 30% women. Why is that? I don't know. But if that's changing, you will see more women get into tech jobs and then they can also go more remote and they can you know, be more on nomadists, for example. I, I do encourage my female friends to become nomad. I think it's still the society yeah. conditioned woman. Oh, you need to get a stable job, have a family. So oh, not yeah. many people 100%. are brave enough to give up this. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I mean, I've made sure to like, we moderate nomadists heavily and it's uh, it's open to everybody. So everybody's nice generally, there's no politics. So I think it's quite a welcoming open community. But I think you're right. I think there is a lot of uh, society norms, you know, depending on country. Like America, they're quite open. Uh, Western Europe, like Holland, Germany, quite open. But then even countries like Portugal, Spain are more uh, traditional. Asia is very traditional, of course. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I th- I things are changing. Look, look, look at Korea. Women empowerment and feminism is, is very much on the rise. Also in, Ch- in China, for example, um, I think it will work out. But I think what doesn't help is like people like what you had like five years ago where everyone's like, oh my God, like people would, would tweet me, oh my God, why are you following only like 20% women on Twitter? You know, this stuff <laughs> like like this stuff like attacking people for, for stuff, it doesn't really work and it's it's, no. it's kind of stupid. Yeah, because before I joined the nomad list, mm-hmm. I have a stereotype yeah. about digital nomad. So like poor people living in Bali or this kind of stereotype, it, it, it will take time to resolve it. Yeah, so I, that was your question. You wrote also, like I read before the podcast, like uh, what are some stereotypes, some that are, that are wrong that you find out? And so I, I looked a little bit and I think one of the stereotypes that digital nomads are low income, low educated. And they fly to cheap, they live and fly to cheap places. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, a more recent uh, stereotype is that they emit a lot of CO2, right? Because they're flying so much. So I have the data for that for tens of thousands of people that are on my website. Hmm. Um, on average, digital nomads make, digital nomads make over $120,000 a year. It's way higher than normal salary. 90% of digital nomads is university educated. So bachelor or master or PhD. The majority of digital nomads has progressive political views. So they're not like certain political, they're, they're, they're very progressive and open. That's why they're traveling, right? And seven out of the top 10 destinations are in expensive countries with high cost of living. So only 30% of the top 10 destinations is uh, cheap, affordable. And then if you look at the CO2, like I also measure how much CO2 they emit with flying and stuff. Uh, nomads emit about 42% less CO2 than regular people and that's because they don't commute to work every day uh-huh. they don't work in offices they usually walk you know to their cafe or they use like a, a, a bike or something so that's very interesting because that goes against all the stereotypes True, exactly. with data and i remember you tweet someone someone say oh remote work is work from home this stereotype is surprised to me. I said, you can work anywhere. You can work in the park or... Yeah, it was uh, yesterday. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think with, with COVID, it's very interesting because suddenly remote work is mainstream and people people don't really understand. Like for them, remote work has been lockdowns and staying at home. and But that's not remote work because we've been doing it for years. We have friends in different different cities. We, we work from, you know, hotel, bed or Airbnb or a cafe or co-working space wherever we work best we work you know and especially before covid it was not at home a lot it was mostly outside home you know yeah exactly 90 percent of my friends i met online through traveling does this also apply to your yeah. life do you still keep contact with your old friend back home or? i think with old friends like the people who kind of also were like traveling or remote work and break they stayed in the People that didn't kind of kind of we grew out of apart, which is annoying, which is not good, but that's just what happens. And no bad feelings, but just like it's different lives. But like more and more, some of those people now are messaging me like, "Hey, I want to go nomad. I'm moving to Portugal. 
so and i'm trying to get those people like onto the not nomad but just more like like let's move to portugal let's move to because i'm from holland it's very cold always except the summer it's rainy like let's move to uh to portugal or something and let's or somewhere nice and let's uh let's live there and have nice wine and tapas on the beach sunset and you know that's my dream and that's what i'm trying to do with my with rebase now with the company the immigration service but also just to move all my internet friends because i'm the same as you i have 90 percent internet friends and like it's great on the chat apps you know but i love to get that more in real life yeah meeting in real life yes so why do you think portugal has a potential to be the next big thing i read a lot of articles portuguese next silicon valley and so many tech people come here it's weird like i never really thought about portugal until uh covid happened when covid happened i was in Malaysia mm-hmm. and with Mark and Andre, these uh, friends of mine, and we, like, I flew back to Europe to escape COVID because it wasn't in Europe yet. And then I, I arrived in Europe and nobody believed COVID was going to be a problem for months, for really until like April, May, they didn't believe. And it was, I stocked up on food and everything. Back then I was in a, in a relationship and she wasn't with me then because I fled to Europe and uh, we ended up breaking up and I was very depressed and anxious and stuff. Kind of similar vibe to like when I did 12 startups, like that was 2014, but this was like 2020. And um, and I talked to Mark and I said, let's go travel again. Cause now it's like July and you know, if we wear masks, we can, you know, just, we could just move. And so we went to Berlin, Prague, and then we went to Portugal and, and but we were very careful. Like we were not spreading. We were really proper, and 95 masks and we ended up in portugal because it was like on nomad list was really popular suddenly like and i feel all the people that used to move to asia in the winter couldn't move because asia was kind of closed asia was very strict with quarantines and borders were all closed kind of so nobody could go to bali so people were just like okay let's go to somewhere warm in europe a lot of americans just went to mexico but a lot of europeans went to portugal you expect them to go to Spain because it was generally classically more popular, but they went to Portugal. I was like, well, interesting. So let's go to Lisbon. I was there. We organized a meetup and like, I think 40 people were coming. And this was like September, September, 2020. And um, I had to cancel the meetup because no, but I was really, I was really scared of COVID and for good reason. And I knew that something like 5% of people had COVID actively. So 30 people, uh, it's a good chance somebody has it. So I canceled the meetup. Mm. Uh, but I realized, okay, this is interesting. This is a very like, bustling kind of place. And I felt the same as Chiang Mai in 2014 or Bali, Changu in 2017. Suddenly, a lot of people you know are there and it's very easy to meet up. Everybody's excited. And I was like, okay, this might this might become a thing. And and to your question, like what, what, what made Portugal like especially good was affordable, like almost as affordable as like Southeast Asia. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. When I moved like from London are... to here, I feel like, oh my god, oh my god it's super London. cheap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the same. Yeah, yeah. I remember like buying the same amount of groceries I would buy in Holland, and I would in Holland you spent like 200, 300 euros. This was like a hundred or seventy-five euros, and but the great food, great vegetables, great meat. Yeah, love um, seafood. <laughs> yes, love seafood. The, the weather is like, like Southeast Asia is too hot. Like I'm now sitting in AC at like 20 Celsius, but outside it's usually like something like 30 to 40. And I'm now on an island, so it's more breezy. I'm on, like the beach is there, like 10 meters away from me. Cool. So that's nice, but it is generally too hot and it gets really sweaty. And, um, and in Portugal, you could just be outside and it's generally it's like now it's kind of cold, right? But like in April, May, it's like 20, yeah. 20 degrees or something, 22 degrees. Close to like, I think 22, 23 is perfect. It's like the perfect human temperature, you know, like lukewarm kind of. And that's Portugal. I think California has the same climate. Almost all year, it's kind of warm. Like now, you know, January is cold, but, you know, still less cold than the rest of Europe. uh, Yeah, I think it's a suit for my criteria when I pick up my location. I don't want to live in a... Just one season. I, I tried Madeira yeah. before because I'm yeah. uh, normalist Madeira. Like Islands in Portugal. Yeah. yeah. So I said, oh, it's, a, it's too hot for me. I want a different seasons. So Lisbon is a perfect. Yeah. yeah, have different seasons. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Also, the air is really clean. Like, uh, 
clean air is really difficult. Like I'm actually sitting here and I, I smell somebody smoking outside. So <laughs> generally, the the air in Asia is quite bad. Mm. Like the AQI levels are like 75, 150. China is horrible air, of course. We know it's like I was in Qingdao. No, I was in Beijing. And from it was always like 125 AQI, which is quite bad. And then I was in traffic and it suddenly the, the, the air became orange. Oh, my God. And, it went like, and I look at the AQI, it's suddenly 350. Yeah. Just, it's crazy. And I, I started getting uh, eye irritation and stuff. And and if you are like now, I'm like 35. So you start thinking about long-term health stuff more. Like anyway, you're 25, you don't care anything. It's like, who cares? Fuck it. Uh-huh. Let's just... You know, why are you so scared of air quality? Who cares? Just live your life. Let's get drunk. Let's smoke cigarettes. When you're 35, you think more about it. And you're like, okay, um, health. This 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 is now causing me long-term, you know, cancer risk and stuff. So I, I was like, okay, Portugal, super clean air because it's on the coast and stuff generally. Locals are friendly, great English. It's very safe. It's very safe. safe for women. Yeah, I feel very safe. Yeah. Because yeah. I went to a couple of uh, Fado performance. Yeah, Fado. Normally ended at uh, midnight or 1, a, 1 or 2 a.m. Then I walk back, like walk one hour on street. <laughs> no big deal. I feel very safe. Yeah, and that's exceptional. Like like people from Latin America, they, they, they cannot walk back. Or, or in South, South Africa, in Cape Town, Johannesburg, you cannot walk home. You can't even walk outside as a guy. Even, even Holland. Holland might be a little bit dodgy in Amsterdam. Oh, okay. So yeah. I think it's an exceptional place. It's a place that's on nobody's mind. But if you look at the data, all the metrics are kind of good. Like there's, there's, there's not a lot of negative uh, things about, about Portugal we can find. Like it's, it's hard to find. I mean, I would say bureaucracy, typical like you know, also Spain, the bureaucracy is very difficult. I would say there was, there was a lot of corruption in the past. I think they've, they've, they've removed a lot of corruption. So that's fine. I think things go a little bit slower if you do with local businesses. But uh, for foreigners who work remotely, like you, you're not really in touch with those businesses. So it's, it's quite good for foreigners. Yeah. So what motivates you to build up Raybase? I was one of the early customers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pretty happy. Plus, so when I came to Portugal, I, I didn't know anything about this, but I knew that everybody, a lot of people I talked to were kept saying like, yeah, I just, I just moved to Portugal, but also became a resident here. I was like, okay, that's interesting. And I was like, what does it mean to say, well, there's some there's benefits for uh, foreigners to move here because they're trying to attract foreigners, because a lot of Portuguese are leaving Portugal because it's hard to find a job. It's not a lot of opportunities. They, the companies in Portugal don't pay a lot of money. So there's a big brain drain. And like last year, Portugal had the, fat, had the oh. biggest decrease in population in 50 years, or 2020. And so they want foreigners to come and spend money. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I kind of checked and I asked like the immigration advisors that people had and like, I did a call of them and I did it. I got all my lawyers to, like I got a Dutch lawyer, Portuguese lawyer, Singaporean lawyer to check the, the concept because my company is Singapore and it's all you know legit and solid and legal. And um, I made sure to like properly leave Holland, my citizenship country. And I called the IRS about everything, like is everything good? I Everything's fine. And um, I moved and then I started, you know, you tell your friends about it and you, mm your nomad friends and they were above average kind of interested and also wanted to talk to my immigration advice and also do like a call but this this started like in december 2020 january 2021 and um i was like okay i'll make a type form so you can just sign up and i'll refer you started you know getting like i don't know something like 20 signups a month and then I made it into a real landing page around November last year, like a few months ago. With like a forum, you can sign up and the benefits are on the left and you can sign up and you can do all your data. And then you pay with Stripe for the first call. You pay like $100. I didn't even launch this. Like it was online, but I didn't really launch it. And then I made a photo of me sitting on my bed with my laptop. Like and I tweeted like POV, uh, building an immigration service as a startup. <laughs> and I was just kind of just it's fun to always update people what I'm building, you know. And I, for some reason, I just don't really understand. It went viral. It was like, wow, this is cool. We need this. And then I wrote the URL. The people were like, what's the URL? And I just posted it. And then within a month, 500 people signed up or something, like 466 or something. 
my law, the, the immigration advisors I refer to, they, I think they dealt with like 20 to 30 people a month normally. And suddenly they have like 500 people. <laughs> it's like a workload. Yeah. yeah, they were. And so they started hiring more people. They hired like five more people, trained them to scale up. And they were, they've been very good in like dealing with the, the demand and stuff. Um, it's still difficult. Like now if you sign up as, as a non-European, it takes until like February or March to get a call. So it's quite, it's still quite, it's a bottleneck, but I'm trying to speed it up and i've automated all these parts like i've automated the the sign up the payments which used to go by email like you would email the, the immigration advisor they would send you a form a pdf you need to fill out then you need to bank transfer money all this stuff and now it's um it's stripe payment you upload your passport on stripe also for the identity check kyc you um what else do you do you set up a calendar meeting with the immigration advisor and Within, you know, two minutes, you can be done and then the call comes and then you get set up in Portugal and you, they help you register there and move there. So, yeah, yeah. I even met the immigration lawyer because I need to sign some paperwork. So she met, she met, she met me in the cinema in this <laughs> so nice. when I was there. Yeah, they are super nice and very efficient, I will yeah. say. Yeah. I mean, and this is hard to get efficient immigration advisors because they're, you know, living in an analog world, not a digital world like us. So they've been very, very good at accepting me saying like, no, I don't want to do call. No, I don't. <laughs> like I never, I, I, I never even called them since I, I only called them since I moved to Portugal. I never called them about this rebase stuff. We just did everything over, over chat. And they, 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 they accepted it. So it's, they're amazing. Yeah. And you mentioned you had two breakdowns during your startup and uh, last year. So w what solution did you take up to get out of that? Yeah, I think everybody was in like a, a bad psychological state last year because of COVID. And now still, I mean, still people are, it's difficult. It's very difficult, like the most difficult thing in many people's lives. And it's not good to be in lockdowns alone at home. It's, it's, it's so hard that we cannot meet groups of people still. It's quite difficult. You know, it's, get, it's getting better for sure with vaccination and stuff, but uh, it's, it's caused a massive psychological toll. And what helped for me was like, you know, meeting Mark, going on trip again. We were in Prague, we were in, and then in Portugal. And uh, then we invited some more friends over and we kind of lived in, in a coastal town in Portugal called Irisera. And we'd go for walks and stuff and beautiful, beautiful place, like magical. And, and considering COVID, we had a pretty good life. You know, we, we, we ate nice food. We had friends near and so that helped me a lot. I think friends, having friends near you within, I would say hundred meters is the most important. That's my goal because that's so key to your happiness, you know? Yeah. Did you also try therapy or other? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, good point. Yeah, I did. I did online therapy. Really good American therapist. So I was like, you know, when you talk to therapists in your own language, like you must have it with Chinese. I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was born. Uh, you're in Chinese, China. right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so if you have a therapist, maybe in in in, in Mandarin Chinese. Right? Yeah, Mandarin. Yeah. yeah. Speak okay. Mandarin. So, what I had with Dutch therapists was like I felt kind of judged. You know what I mean? Because it's like Dutch person. And I was kind of like, and I talked to my British friend. He had the same British therapist. So I was like, okay, I'll Google like, you know, anxiety, depression therapist online. And I found this American woman from Ohio. It's kind of sovereign, you know, like kind of Tim Cook accent, I think. Okay. Kind of like okay. cow cowboy accent, yeah. kind of cool. <laughs> and um, she, was really, she was really nice. She's like, Peter, how can I help you today? Or some funny accent. And uh, I, I told her everything, all my thoughts and fears and problems and we went through everything and it was cbt so like i knew cbt which is cognitive behavioral therapy which is like you make like a spreadsheet with like a thought you have like for example let's say you're single and you're like i'm going to be alone forever i'm never, never going to meet a new boyfriend or girlfriend right it's a common thought and then you need to reality check it so you okay next column is like evidence for this thought it's like okay well you know is there evidence you will be forever alone Mm, not really like when you were single before you kind of found a new girlfriend or boyfriend so it was and you're a nice person you're 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 attractive and it's you know it's not really 
been a problem ever. So why would this be? So, okay, so there's no evidence for this. So, so then what's the realistic thought? It's like, I'm single now, but I don't think it will be a real big challenge to find the next person. It will never, not, definitely not be forever. And maybe it's kind of good to be alone uh, for a while. You know, why not? And that's CBT. And, and I think I had like 10 or 20 of these thoughts. But another thought was like, I was scared that I wasn't normal, that I was not like a classically normal person. Like, for example, like I didn't have a mortgage and a car living in, the suburbs of Amsterdam, you know, like, like friends or something. And I talked about all that stuff and that really helped. Like it took like, I think eight or 10 or 12 sessions of one hour. And I felt so much better after that. And, uh, yeah, the therapist really, really helped me like really changed my life. Yeah. yeah. I did a therapy as well when I was in the UK. Yeah. If that's really during lockdown, I was new yeah. to the country, not many friends around and locked down by myself. I do think, yeah, highly recommend that. Yeah. Uh, I don't know when I talk English, I can be more open to talk about my thoughts. That's it. I have the same yeah. thing. That's, that's why I got the American <laughs> therapist because I could be really open and, and with Dutch, I cannot yes. be that because Dutch and probably Mandarin for you gives this culture to connect it to that language. That's your whole upbringing, right? Like your whole childhood and teenage years is Chinese and for me, Dutch. And that gives a lot of baggage, mm. which does, which it's, it's not hard for me to, it's harder for me to open up with English. It's like, who cares? Like you can say anything. Yeah. And yeah. I say fuck a lot. Yeah. yeah, yeah me China, too. I never cursing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, <laughs> it's interesting. So I see you, you built up so many websites and products. How yeah. do you manage your time and energy to be so productive? Yeah, I think I get that question a lot. I, I don't do that much stuff. Like I, so let's say like yesterday or something or today I wake up. I wake up like around noon. So I go to bed around 4 a.m. And uh, it's just my cycle always been. And uh, it was very difficult in high school. And I wake up, I shower, I make or I order coffee. And I kind of sit and chill and read my friends' chat groups and stuff. And then I'll check, like, like my robots these days, they send me the bugs every, when they happen, or I get feedback sent. And it's also on the chat app, it's on Telegram. So I get sent, before I wake up, I get sent the, the revenue of all my projects summarized for the last 24 hours, 30 days, and 365 days. And the growth rates and emojis like green or red, like if it's good or bad, like I know in China it's reverse, but for me it's like green is good. And then also the uptime, like did the server go down, the last errors I get. So that gives me to see what I should be working on. And so if there's nothing, if there's no bugs, it's perfect. Um, feedback on my website goes immediately to the chat group, which is me and my server guy, a friend who works for me, uh, who keeps the server up. So usually I just fix some, quickly fix some bugs. And then I'll look at my kind of to-do list. Like I have like post-it notes on my window of like stuff I need to do. Like now, for example, uh, I need to work on the rebase video. I'm making a video trailer kind of like, like a nomad list. But the thing is, so I, I work a lot, but I don't work that much as people think because all these projects are highly automated. I don't have to enter the weather for Lisbon mm. tomorrow on my website. Like that's the robot. It downloads the weather on some weather API that I pay money for. A lot of data, all the data is automatically updated. Like the, I have another website, Remote OK. It's a remote job sport. People pay to post jobs on there and then job is posted by the script, right? By the, by the PHP script. And then it shows up on the websites in the database and the payment is accepted and there's no human there doing anything. It's all automated. Yeah, and there's no reason to put a human there except for customer support, which I have a contractor for. And then she will message me when there's a bug, but she she messages me maybe once a week. So there's generally, it's highly automated. And the only stuff I, I have to work on is new features, you know, and if I make a new feature, like I will also introduce always a bug because when you add something, something else breaks. It's always like that. So, but if I don't, like the joke is if I don't touch the code, uh, nothing breaks. So the moment I start, I start working on it, things start breaking. I see, yeah. I remember you wrote an article about why you should be unreachable. 
Yeah. I'm a writer, so I, I get a lot、yeah. of、uh, feedback. So people want to meet me or blah blah blah. Well, you're famous in China. I know. Really <laughs> Not famous. famous. <laughs> well, 100,000 followers, I think. Ah,、uh, yeah, it's more more followers than I was on Twitter. Yes,、yeah, so, yeah. So you have more followers than me, I think, on Twitter. So that's.、Uh, I got 150,000 on Weibo. Yeah, see, it's more than me. So you're famous. <laughs> like me.、Yeah. I think I quite enjoy this niche famous, so not like <laughs> a celebrity famous. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm saying right. It's just a niche. Like nobody knows me on the street. But、yeah. <laughs> I find out quite resonate with you. You divided 24 hours. What what to do? Divided your energy and time allocation and the async way of working. I find、yeah. it's very good. Yeah, I think that's the future. I mean, I don't like. I did this blog post dividing my hours. It's, it's not. I'm not like autistic where I just structure my hours like that. It's more like it was an example. Because there was someone in America saying like, "Oh my God, Peter Levels even scheduled one hour of sex every day."、Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> like, well, no, that's not how it works. <laughs> it's insane. Like that's not how it works. It's、yeah. just it's just indication. And I was annoyed because people always do these schedule things and they never write that they have sex. It's like it's taboo to write about it. So okay, fair enough. <laughs> I wrote about it. It's a healthy part of being a human. So why not? Why not? True, true. But, but um, the problem is uh, it's it's not structured like that. It's just like I wanted to show that. I like a day is quite short, and if you want to, like, people want to always message you, especially if you're like famous in a niche. But even people, you know, if you have one thousand followers, you already got start getting DMs and stuff. And the problem is that if you have to answer all these, like, I would get probably like twenty, forty, fifty messages a day. Um, and I cannot answer all these messages. Just not true, not possible. Because like 50 messages a day is like if it takes 10 minutes to write an email, right? So that's that's your whole day gone. <laughs> that's, that's 8.3 hours a day. I need to write replies, right? So I can't do that. No.、Uh, it's much easier if I just tweet stuff that's useful for everybody. I think, and, and of course, I want to be reachable for specifically like this podcast is nice. I want to be reachable. I want to talk to you,、mm. but、uh, and I wanted to obviously talk to my family and my friends. But I don't necessarily need to talk to every stranger on the internet, and they don't necessarily have.、Um, this sounds arrogant, but they don't necessarily have the right to message because this is very unpopular opinion in this current side, guys. But you know, if you did the work and the effort, and you do something really cool, just like you do or just like I do, of course, then then you 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 can you you automatically start talking to each other anyway.、Hmm. But a lot of people they don't even do work. They don't even do put the effort in, and they want to talk to everybody and just like, oh my god, we should work together. No, we shouldn't work together. You know, like like you you didn't do anything yet. You need to do a lot of stuff. Like you build a company first, or you create great art first, and then you know we can talk. Because I also made all these websites. I spent the ages of my life doing all this work, and you want to just get in, not do any work, and you want to DM everybody for partnerships. Sorry, that's not how it works, and nobody's gonna say that on podcast because it it sounds. I know it sounds really arrogant and bad, but that's reality. That's what all my successful, famous friends say.、Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, you need to have a prove your work, then then you have the credit. Yeah, you have value. You need to bring value to the table, and you know it could also be you have a good idea, but usually the ideas are not good. And also, I like I had like crazy. I had like stalkers, like physical stalkers. Wow. I had like. Uh, security issues, death threats,、uh, I had really bad things like that happening, and、uh, and that made me completely reevaluate、uh, how open I should be about who, who I should let talk to me, or also should I tell people where I am? My location is is purposely quite vague. It's big security risks, and、um, Tim Ferriss wrote about this, like he yeah, kidnapped、that. almost and this kind of stuff, and. I mean, those are those are real things you need to think about.、Mm. And, uh, yeah, especially for girls, because、oh, I used、yes. to be very open. I'm a very transparent person, so I say, "Okay, I'm here." Blah blah blah. Yeah, girls get ten times more stalkers. Yeah, I do have、know? stalkers and some yeah random guys.、Yeah. That's why I deleted my Instagram. I stopped posting my real pictures. Yeah, I see a lot of girls delete their Instagram these days because of uh, this. Uh, yeah, it's so creepy. Yeah. yeah, it's it's difficult and.、Um, What I miss though is like I I do miss getting random cool messages. It's a it's a hard balance to strike. Like how to be open to 
Yeah, it's like trade-off. You need to sacrifice something. And, and there's a certain percentage of people who cannot deal with treating you normal. Like, mm. I was at parties. I was at a party in Amsterdam. This is the first time I, I, I realized this. I was at a party with my normal friends, these Dutch friends, right? Nothing about startups. And I'm just drinking. And we're just talking about, you know, whatever, like about music and stuff. And then it's a guy in, in a house party, right? And there's a guy sitting next to me and he says, Peter Levels. <laughs> I'm like, what? And that's not the name I use even in real life, right? It's like, it's just a human name. So I'm like, okay, interesting. And my friend's like, what? And this guy is like a strange guy. And he says, and I just won a product on Make of the Year award. And he's like, you just won product on the Make of the Year award, but you know, product on is not relevant anymore. What the fuck? And I'm like, what? Yeah. What the fuck? Like, why? Why would you? I don't know. Like, I don't know. Why would you say that? Um, I'm like, okay, who are you? And he's like, I know you're from the internet. And it's just was such a weird interaction. I was like, good. You know, first of all, that's not a very nice thing. First thing to say. It's like, maybe if it's true, I don't know. But if your opinion is fair, but. You could just say hi, like, hey. Yeah, be know, a just... normal person, introduce yourself. Person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and I realized that something like 10 to 20% of people, and maybe I've also been that in the past, but they cannot deal with treating you normal. They 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 don't know what to say. They mm. will get jealous and they will say something really negative to trigger you for no reason. No reason other than they know more about you than you know about them because they're strange to you, right? So this is parasocial relationship. And I had more of those crazy things. Like I was in Bali once with my friends, also drinking, kind of like nomad friends. And uh, and a guy starts sitting with us, like an old guy, like Ooh. 60-year-old guy, white guy. And he's so sitting really close. And he also <laughs> someone like, Peter Levels, I know what you're doing. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening? And all my friends are like, what? And I'm like, Dude, this is our friends. Please don't sit with us. And we told him to fuck off. And uh, then he started sitting across the bar alone with his drinks, wow. with it drinking and looking at us. So creepy. And shouting stuff. <laughs> so strange. And then I was like, how should we deal with this? So I went to him. I said, what's going on? Why, why, why are you doing this? Why you cannot just behave normal? And he's, and it kind of diffused him. Like he was just a Twitter follower and he was just also interested in stuff. And, I was like, okay, you know, like uh, he said, I'm really sorry for my behavior. Can I buy you drinks? I was like, yeah, I guess. So he bought us like 10 people bought us like free drinks. So kind of nice. And then he sat with us. It was super awkward. And uh, and it was annoying because I felt guilty that it was annoying for my friends. For like at least an hour, this guy. And it was in a way my fault because I, you know, I was there and he... Uh, and I have a number of those events and and you probably have 10 times more, but yeah, it's strange. Yeah. Even for my ex-boyfriend, his new girlfriend told him, don't talk to Camelia anymore because <laughs> she can like search me and knows me, but I know nothing about her. So kind of this jealousy or something is very interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think it's a generally a good idea to not talk to ex-girlfriends, uh, ex-boyfriends, though, but you know, it's good to cut it off. But it's like uh, people already know you through reading your work or look at everything you post online, but you know nothing about them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's strange because there's two persons, right? There's your, your own self and then there's this internet self. And I do try and mm. keep them the same. Like, I'm not like some... I never like those Twitter threads where people are like, I talked to seven billionaires and this is what I learned. Like this, <laughs> I this, don't like you know, It's like this weird vibe. It's not, it doesn't look authentic. So I, I think I, I try to be as authentic as possible. I try to talk the same to you as I talk to my friends, as mm. I talk on Twitter, as far as that's possible. Yeah. And, but people will get ideas about you and they're, they can be wrong. They can be subjective and, and then people get jealous, right? If, if somebody's successful, people, people get really jealous if they're not in balance with themselves. Like if you're in balance with yourself, you can say, wow, cool. This person did something cool, successful. I'm inspired to do the same thing or I respect it. Like I respect Elon Musk doing all this cool stuff. I love it. I, I, I'm a little bit jealous, but not in a bad way. Like I, I, he deserves everything he gets. 
all the good things, not all the hate. Yeah, I see. So how do you cope with the criticism or negative comments? Do you read them or how do you deal with them? I mean, many times, like like the many times, the the people that say something bad, especially like on Hacker News or Reddit. They often have a point, though. There's something, there's some truth there. So you need to like listen, I think, and see what like Hacker News is really honest, and they they might have a point. So I do li- try to, if it's true, I try to like learn from it. With Twitter, you get you get strange like anonymous accounts with anime avatars saying just negative stuff, for example, and I just mute them. So. And there's also the thing where I think Paul Graham wrote about it. If you have fans, that's like fans are the same as haters because, and they flip often. Like it's fans are obsessively liking you in an irrational way. And, and haters are obsessively hating you in a rational way. Both are not accurate. Like there should be a neutral perception about you. And, and fans often flip when you do something that they, that doesn't agree with what they think. So, for example, they could be like, oh, my God, I love Peter Lovescu's remote work. But then if I tweet something about, like, I think nuclear energy should be the future, at least until we, you know, have enough renewable wind and solar power. That's a, might be a controversial opinion. Like, and then people are like, okay, now I don't like you anymore because you like nuclear. Like, it, it's, it's stupid because that's not, that's obsessive. That's not how you would deal with your friends. Mm, true, because yeah. they only see one aspect of your life, then love yeah. you for that point. The human are very complicated. If you see something different, they will say, <laughs> That's it. And and how, how do you do that? Because how can you keep 100,000 people happy? Because they all have different opinions. It's impossible. Exactly. So, That's yeah. very interesting. Because I see so many people like, oh, I don't like, I don't like you anymore. I'll unfollow you. <laughs> Just do it. Nobody force you to follow me. Yes. <laughs> That's my space. Yeah. You feel free, yes. feel free to read or go. Hundred <laughs> percent. But then there, there's so many good things from it. You know, like you, I made so many friends on Twitter, for example. Yeah, I think it's been it's been generally very net beneficial for me. But it comes to the territory. Like if you, if you choose to publicly write stuff, you know, you chose for that. You, you also get all the weird stuff, you know, it comes with the territory. Do you normally meet them in real life or just keep online discussions? Twitter followers. Twitter friends, Twitter friends. I used to go to like the nomadist meetups. I mean, I, I still do kind of, but it's really fun, but it's annoying because it becomes like, I like to have conversations. But they will just keep, it becomes like an interview. Like you go to me and they keep asking questions like, and it's like, oh, I also want to build a startup. Like, how did you do this? And it's like FAQ. It's like, well, I wanted to be more chill, like, like <laughs> friends and stuff. So I, I, I kind of do meetups, but I, I generally try to meet like friends, like a more niche kind of personal community of people I know from like chat groups and stuff. Sometimes if I work with people or if there's a for, for example, podcast, for example, sometimes it's a podcast and then I become friends after, for example. Cool. Can we talk about your music career? Because I'm very interested in that. Yeah, so so around 2003, way back, I was a like, teenager. And um, back then, I was doing a graphic design, like online. Like, I was in all these communities. Like, Now Go Create was a famous one. And Yehu Ray, which is still exists. Like, these graphic design. It's like different scene in graphic design now. Graphic design now is like a lot of like websites, web apps. Back then, it was, think about like posters, flyers big corporate design work and all these cool people like people like no pattern i don't know if anybody still knows them but they uh made really cool art and like i think no pattern was an artist in, in this community and he i think he ended up making the branding for microsoft windows 10 or something like the wallpaper and stuff and like really cool stuff and uh it worked with big brands like nike and i also wanted to do that i wanted to do like motion like graphics and i wanted to do motion graphics like in after effects like these back then you had all these there would be like a show reel which is like a trailer video of people's work like portfolio but it was motion graphics like one minute and it was like crazy shit like i don't know like letters like nike and then flips and then you go through the camera like semi 3d after effects crazy stuff and rainbows and colors and so beautiful and i tried to do all that stuff mm. i won like a Qantas design award that was cool i was like teenage i was like wow so cool but i wasn't particularly super good at it and then i went to a festival in holland because it was an annual festival in my hometown this is four days march the Fidaagse, and then there's these parties in the evening 
big festival and there was all these artists playing and a lot of indie artists also and this guy was playing with his laptop and it was like maybe 10 people watching me and my friend you know smoking weed and like watching uh, as like teenagers we do and this guy was like on a laptop I was like well i know how computers work so i can also make music i guess and i checked what app he was using it was a reason propeller had reason tree and i downloaded it and i started making music and i started uploading the music to like forums like music forums like i was making drum and bass music which is like pendulum like that music and i think now like net sky is famous for example kind of like dubstep kind of similar but a little bit faster and i started sending it to labels started sending it to the radio it became on the bbc it was a uh, one like bbc competition then it won it was Ooh. like playlists on bbc radio it came on bbc radio one so it's like 2003, 2004 or something. And then I started DJing also, started playing my own music in clubs in Holland. I started organizing my own events, kind of continued. I made my own album. I released my own album and I pressed it like CDs and stuff in the factory, you know, and I sent it out myself in envelopes everywhere. Uh, people could buy for like, I don't know, like $6 or $10 or something. And so I needed to learn how to accept money. I think I used like money bookers. Because back then Stripe didn't exist. This was like 2008 or something. Wow. So I'd get money from money bookers and then I would send the package. I started uploading these songs to promote the album to YouTube. And YouTube was a video website. It was like, not for music. It was like the max upload time was like five minutes back then or maybe 10 minutes. So I, w I could upload my songs and I made like nice artwork and Photoshop because I knew how to do graphics. I, the, these songs started getting a lot of views they were getting more views than i would should have gotten considering how uh, non-famous i was because i wasn't very famous in drum bass i was like not very famous i was like doing okay you know and i was like upcoming artist but these views were getting a lot of views and i realized this was because nobody else was uploading music to youtube around 2008 2009 and um so i was like okay i'll upload like a mix of my songs but the, there was a limit of 10 minutes so i uploaded a 10 minute mix and then there was a button in YouTube. You could say like, ask for long upload permission. So I tried to do this thing and I get approved. And now I could upload like two hour mixes. So I started uploading DJ mixes of my own mix and my other piece of music. And then I started getting messages from artists like, hey, can I feature on your uh, channel? I started featuring my friends, DJs, producers on the channel. And all these mixes started getting millions of views, like insane. Wow. And then I was like, okay, this might be a thing. So. Every week I would have a new artist on. I would prepare the whole video in After Effects. So I used my kind of motion graphic skills. And I would, for example, like I would cut out the artist photo. So like this, I would cut out in Photoshop and then I would make the background separate. I'd make like a cool background with like 3D stuff. Like, and this front would kind of move like this. It was all 3D. And people couldn't do motion graphics a lot. So it was perfect. I had all the weird skills like motion graphics, graphic design, Music, audio production, all together, suddenly YouTube is for music. So it became like the number two biggest channel in Holland for a while. And like one of the top like five music channels in the world. And then uh, I started getting paid money for it. So I started getting paid from YouTube, like I said, like $2,000, $8,000. Yeah, so the music career kind of pivoted towards a YouTube career, which then pivoted into a nomad career. Mm. So why you stopped doing your music at so this interesting story, I think I've told this many times, The there's a limited time something is unknown in a market. So knowing that nobody's uploading music to YouTube, you can, you know, you have that for six months. So more and more people started coming in, labels started uploading their own music. So music labels who have the rights, right? There was two things, the, the music I uploaded, I would get, for example, DJ Fresh, who I met here, who's a big drum bass DJ, who I met here in Thailand, actually. I saw him walk and I said, hi, we had drinks really fun, like a hero of mine. Uh, he was also on my channel. So he would send me a mix, for example, I would upload it. And the problem was that there was Verizon sued YouTube, I think, uh, or the big music label sued YouTube because of the copyrights, because they weren't paying royalties, right? They weren't paying license fees to the music. So you would start getting copyright claims, as people know on YouTube, when you use RV's music, you get a copyright claim and either your video gets removed or they monetize it, right? So artists would send me music and the labels would send me music. I would upload it. And then their 
licensing agencies, the labels would start um, claiming it or taking it down. So something like one third of the mixes I uploaded started getting taken down. And then I would have to email the artist, like, why is it taken down? And say, sorry, man, this is like our licensing agency. They don't know that I sent you the music. And so I need a lot of phone calls and stuff to get this music back up. Meanwhile, at the same time, everybody's changing their thumbnails on YouTube to hot girls, hot bikini girls <laughs> with big boobs yeah. because that would uh, get you views. So I was like, okay, I'll try to do the same thing. So I would upload a normal video and we would get like, you know, 50,000 views in a week. Then I would upload a hot bikini girl photo as a thumbnail and it would get 800,000 views. <laughs> so like, I don't know, something like 20,000. human nature. <laughs> yeah, it was human nature, but I didn't feel really good about it. I felt like this is not, but I had to do it because I was, I had to do, I had to compete with yeah. <laughs> just stupid shitty channels who would upload like music. They didn't even get sent, but they would get millions of views because they had these hot girls in there. So I did this for a while. I did it for six months. I didn't feel good about it. And then I think when the, I started working on new projects, like these 12 startups, when that took off, I was like, okay, let's shut this YouTube down or at least stop it. Stop making new episodes because money's going down. Copyright is crazy, and the, the thumbnail thing—it's not—it's not a fair way to do business. And at the same time, the the YouTube channels who started their own labels, and so they started licensing their own music from the artists. They were really smart, so they didn't have copyright claims because they owned the music. And I probably should have done that. Famous channel UKF, UKF, drum bass, UKF dubstep—they did it, and they became the biggest channel, one of the biggest music channels. So. But a lot of business theory here, like you need to own the rights to this stuff. You need to be in the right position to, you know, I could only leverage my, my skills for like a few years, my graphic YouTube video skills, my, my network of music, but then it became too difficult. So I, I got out at the right time, I think. Yeah. It's all about timing. <laughs> yeah. 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 And on Nomad List, you mentioned uh, in Colombia, people start to vote for the hot girl pictures as the man. It's, it's exactly. It's it, I think this, it's so much human nature. And yeah. um, on on like the photos and nomadists are voted by the users and by by people who visit the site, and they can click a photos. And on Colombia Medellin, the the main photo. So I take the photos from Unsplash automatically. I search for the city name. The robot does that, downloads the photos, and then the number one voted photo becomes a city picture on nomadist and. The city picture on Namas was uh, in Medellin was like a girl with big, big ass. <laughs> so this is, uh, this is, yeah, this is human nature, I guess. I made a filter for that now. I tried to remove it and uh, it worked. I mean, it's also the taboo. Like people just click on this stuff or people search for it. Like the, I have the same thing today. Like I added suggested filters on Nomad List. So if you click Europe, you get like the other filters people also used in that combination. And like the top filters people use in a combination, any combination top is Tinder. Tinder. <laughs> And then it's uh, legal weed, weed. Yeah. which is, I mean, it's fine. Like this, it's just, it both are like taboo, right? Like people want to have sex, do drugs and find a girlfriend or boyfriend, which is fine, but it's a little bit taboo. So, but I think it's kind of beautiful about data that it shows yeah. the truth of I like humans. that. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like a serious corporate website, just uh, everything is scripted. Yeah. Yeah. It gets, it gets so bored if you make it court, but I, 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 I did add a filter, I think, for the weed now oh, to kind of okay. skip it. And, yeah. yeah, but who cares? Yeah. So what's your vision for Nomad List in the future and remote okay? Well, I think with COVID now, remote work went absolutely mainstream. Like everybody now knows remote work. And before that was like, I would say 10% people worked remotely, maybe even less outside US. And now it's like really high, like maybe 70% or something, 80%. This is insane. And and my revenue went crazy because of because it's all about remote work. So it all went like it's been doubling for two years now. So it's four, almost five X compared to before COVID. So it's absolutely if the chart is like insane, it's like this. So I think the the future will be I don't think necessarily everybody's gonna be digital nomad. I think people are gonna move to different places that give them a better work life balance. You see a lot of people in America move to snow resorts. They become like, they want to be snowboarding, skiing and working a little bit. You see a lot of people move to like Miami, for example, to find their subculture, right? Crypto culture. Austin is kind of like the 
Joe Rogan kind of culture vibe. People move to Portugal. It's kind of like the, the Europeans or the, the nomads everywhere that moving there for like nice life and healthy life and surfing and stuff. And you see more and more of these places with a specific sub niche of topic and certain type of people. And I think that's, that's, that's amazing. And uh, nomad list will only, I guess, keep trying to help you find those places that are, that fit with you. Right. That's why you have all those filters so you can find those places. And, uh, and remote okay i don't know like it's just a job board so i, I hope it helps a lot of people find jobs i think it gets like five thousand job posts a year or something so it's five thousand people finding a remote job hopefully per year and uh i think the, i think it's really exciting for me because i've been so long in this remote work thing and nomad thing like since since i started april 2013 and i've seen it go from 20 people in chiang mai to now hundreds of millions probably you know soon a billion people probably i made a prediction in 2015 that there would be one billion nomads like remote workers in 2035 and i was like canceled almost for that prediction i was like you're 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 crazy you cannot say that what no because it, it, it billion uh-huh. people is way too many people were like absolutely untrue and then covid happened and now mm. people say this is this is probably we're already maybe there like we're it's 2022 so it's still you know, eight plus five, 13 years. So yeah, I think we're going to make that. Yeah, true. What's your opinion on the dating market for nomads? Because I see so many single. Yeah, so I, mean, I think it's very difficult. So I had a relationship like for quite some years, uh, which worked because, and we would spend like three months together. And then one month I would spend with my friend, with, with her, we'd go on a trip, also nomad. And then one month with my friends, it worked really well. I think it's, I mean, I, I think it doesn't matter if you have relationships at home, not being nomads, like relationships, you know, often end, you know, like it's normal and sometimes things don't work anymore. I think with nomads, it's hard that like there's this perception that digital nomads, they, that they move around a lot, which is not true. Like most nomads stay very long. They stay months in one place. They move around because of visa usually. But now with COVID, they've really slowed down. And like a lot of people now live in Mexico or live in Portugal or live in Thailand. I think it's hard to have a long-term relationship if two people are not physically in the same place, you know, or choose to be like long-term relationships, sorry, long-distance relationships, I don't think work at all. Some person needs to move to the other person or you both need to move to the same place. You cannot have a relationship over Zoom, you know, it just doesn't work. I do think it was cool that you meet a more diverse type of people like nomads. The problem with like nomads dating locals is that locals have their own life in a certain place. The nomad is visiting that place unless that nomad wants to live in that place for the rest of their life or the local wants to, you know, move to move also become nomad or move to some other place. But that's also why I think I'm trying to push people to move to Lisbon because it helps if all our, like everybody has a problem with our internet friends are everywhere. We want to move our internet friends to one place, you know, for dating, but also for friends. Like it's good to have all these people and all these people that kind of think alike. And I think same thing happening in America with Austin and Miami. Mm, yeah, Joe like Rogan. The, yeah. yeah, Joe Rogan is moving all his friends and everybody to Austin. It's so cool. So cool. A lot of the crypto people are moving everybody to Miami, right? I think it's the first time where you see, and man, I, I hoped for this so long for years, that the people that are the same subcultures on the internet will physically move to each other. And it's happening now. But yeah, I think moving around every few months forever will not give you necessarily a good thing life. Although I did that with, uh, I did that with my ex-girlfriend. I did, we did Nomad for, for, for many years and yeah, for a few years, it was really cool. It was really cool. Like 2014 to 2018 or something, you know, it was not without problems, but it was, it's almost as if you make a relationship like 10 times as much intense or, or or experiencing because you are like we went from i think like thailand to you know europe to bali to eastern europe to to latin america like all the way all these places and it was very intense but very like really cool memories i have yeah go to the new place explore have the new adventures together yeah and like now of covid of course we don't but i think it helps to have a base somewhere and then Go from that base. Like if I like now I live in Portugal and I can, you know, go to go to Bali or go to uh, Thailand for a few months in the winter and then come back to Portugal. And as long as you come back to the same place, the core of friendship is proximity and repetition. 
so proximity is being near each other so live near each other and repetition is seeing each other every time so if you go to the same places again and if you go back to the same place again you will have friends inevitably yeah exactly that's why i pick up lisbon as my base because yeah. new zealand is too far away from everything. oh my god like if i hear people and, move yeah. to new zealand like um do you know pascal pixel yeah 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 i know yeah, yeah. So i he, met him through the yeah. digital nomad cool guy so he always tells me he wants to move to new zealand and <laughs> I'm like, you will absolutely, you will get depressed there because it's it's so isolating, it's so lonely there. Like this is never gonna work. So yeah, exactly. That's why I left. Even though it's nice nature, yeah. you know. And I do feel like through the COVID, the the government lockdown for eighteen months is affected people's mental health so much. 100%. All their focus is on the a few COVID cases. They're like, oh, we got another one. I think they're living in a different reality now. I can't talk to my New Zealand friend anymore. And in Europe, it's like like hundreds of thousands a day. Yeah, and we don't care anymore, but they are very cautious about a few yeah. cases. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's, it's very strange what this pandemic is... Uh giving us insights into of countries of peoples of like even friends of mine who who changed radically i probably changed radically too but changed radically like a lot of people went super against anti-government you know mm. a lot of people went went like way too pro-government we're like i'll do anything the government tells me everyone has their own little reality bubble what they think about covid and all this stuff and yeah that's know. why i like yeah. to talk to digital nomads because they all travel different parts of the world they have a more wide view of the world i do believe that yeah i do believe it's a lot of examples of that i do think that's true yeah cool okay yeah. nice to meet you Camille. it was really fun yeah very nice to meet you nice uh, to talk to you and i hope to see you in this one in may or april or something Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, yeah. Let me know when you are here. Yeah. Let's have nice wine and tapas. Good idea. Uh, <laughs>